Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Happy Thursday morning, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I've got the boss man with me. Welcome back, boss man. Hola. For an old school TMBA episode where we write down five things we think we know about growing businesses and share them with you. Shout out to our official sponsor, Vichy Catalan. I actually might want to mention that I'm sending out an email to all past sponsors today. If you're interested in sponsoring this show in Q3 or Q4, we do have some availability Drop me an email, dan at tropicalmba.com. And if you'd like us to answer your questions on this pod, hit us up, Ian and Dan at tropicalmba.com. Any more throat clearing at the top here, boss man? Well, Vichy Catalan is a very nice drink. It's found here in Barcelona, Spain. It's a fizzy water with uh, salt in it, basically. It's super refreshing. And I looked up to see how hard it would be to get it in the United States. And it's not easy yet. Mm -hmm. So perhaps a big import-export opportunity identified at the top. Or at least rip off the brand and uh, and do it in the United States. Because after drinking this, going back to the States here in, in a little bit, like to the Waterloo, which I thought I loved, I don't know if I could drink it anymore. So here's the concept for today's episode, Ian. So many of the things, and the context for this really is that we were just doing our Q2 numbers and looking at them, and we're on track to reach our growth goals of more than doubling our business this year. And we want to keep it up. We're projecting into the next year. We want to double again. And through that process, we're just looking for all different kinds of ways and ideas about how you create breakthroughs and growth in your business. But so many of those tactics or strategies that promise growth and evolution in our businesses are daunting and time-consuming. Examples. Launch a new product, develop a repeatable marketing funnel, hire three new critical team members, identify a business partner, get in great shape and work 10 hours a day, <laughs> get an Adderall prescription or <laughs> whatever, you know, recognize 15 key brands and influencers to recognize. There's all these things that are just like, oh my gosh, this is going to take me forever to do this work. I got to gear up and keep the nose to the grindstone. But what if there were things? that you didn't have to have your nose at the grindstone, that were fun, emotionally light, easy in both time and money, and potentially could lead to big breakthroughs. Today, Ian and myself put our heads together and talked about some things that we're trying or have tried, and we're gonna share them with you today on the TBA Pod. Yeah, just a little context for me in this list. Our last business, our last uh, physical products business, like we were also doubling year over year and we didn't have a lot of systems in place per se. I think we had like a great product roadmap. I think we're like industry leader in a lot of ways. But looking back at like our process in the way that we systematize things, like there really wasn't any of it. There was decently smart people in the business Ourselves included. Yeah. But when you look back at like, a, I think we're trying to search here for like a better way to do things, a way that could potentially more than 2x growth every year in a way that can do it systematically, I think is very interesting because 
let's be honest, me and you are getting a little bit older. And it's not that we're not willing to put in 12-hour days. It's that I think the applied energy and those 12-hour days can be a lot better than it was back then. Back then, we were younger. We were kind of willing to do anything and everything for those 12 hours. And I think that that's part of the reason why we achieve what we achieve. But this time, I think it's a little bit different. So meaning the applied effort can be smarter. So maybe we could title the episode Five Ways to Work Smarter, Maybe, and Not So Much Harder. Although, if you can do both, Godspeed. All right, so here's the list we came up with, and we'll start with number one. Hire an industry expert or practitioner. And it's sort of like reintroduced itself to me through our process this year of just being super knowledge thirsty and sort of hearing examples and like participating in ones ourselves that have created breakthrough moments and lots of time savings. One was a friend who runs a business, brought in a part-time consultant that was formerly of one of the elite companies in their space. And I just thought, man, that's such a baller move that I haven't thought to do in my own company. And then I thought to myself, man, couldn't you just go on LinkedIn and reach out to currently employed employees and practitioners at elite companies and say, hey, can I pick your brain for 250 bucks an hour or 500 bucks an hour or something? That hour could save you months on something like a product roadmap. I haven't cleared the specific examples to share them on the team, but I think everybody listening can kind of imagine what this might mean in your business and also the feasibility of it. You think about reaching out to a consulting firm or an agency or even like an industry expert that brands themselves that way. And you think, oh my gosh, it's going to be a $10,000 onsite or whatever. But if you proactively reach out to someone that's in X position at Y company and say, hey, would you be willing to do a three-hour Skype with my executive leadership team? Would you meet up with me on Saturday for half the day to like sit by the whiteboard and talk about how you'd run my company? I think there's so many people who would appreciate the opportunity to be a consultant when they're gainfully employed elsewhere. What do you think of that one, boss man? I think you mentioned Skype, which I haven't heard about for three years. Oh man, I'm sorry. Bleep it out. <laughs> but uh, as a caveat, I did use Skype the other day because I had to call my credit card company and I couldn't figure out another way to do it now that we're in Barcelona. But I think your point is well taken, which is, and this was like the reason in my mind for Clarity.fm uh, back in the day, reached out to a couple of people on that. I'm not sure what happened to that. I think the incentives aren't quite aligned, which is like, Eventually, those websites where it's like, hey, I'm going to put myself up as a expert, eventually that becomes a lead funnel for a product. And yeah. then I'm less practitioner and more expert. But I will say I've done this with Dynamite Jobs back in the day where I would post up, hey, call me if you want to talk about building a profitable podcast, because that's what I've focused on. And I've seen a lot of people do it. I've done it myself. And I've done probably about five of those calls with listeners of this show. And at least in two or three of those instances, I save those folks like months of time, months in just one or two hours. My brain started getting cooking in the past couple of months as we've seen these examples pile up. And it's like, we should have a more proactive strategy to do this. I think it's really powerful. And especially for people that aren't actively marketing themselves as consultants. Yeah. So the last couple of weeks, we've reached out to several industry experts in the job space. And I think some probably some relationships are going to come out of that, some real relationships, whether it's uh, best friends or paid relationships, but uh, either way, something's going to come out of that. And I think the most valuable thing that you mentioned that's starting to change for us is just the product roadmap. So 
if you can identify somebody that's an industry expert in your field, a lot of times they can shave years off your product development cycle. And these types of insights, I think, are going to give us a, a shortcut. And when you start to ask yourself, like, how much would you pay for that kind of shortcut? Well, a lot. Because, like, right now we have, like, three developers. So can you imagine, like, running the wrong way for a year? Because we've done that in the past. When DJ first started, we had, like, a services a section. We spent six months on it. We basically ran in the wrong direction. It cost us a lot of money. So I'm looking forward to some of these shortcuts in terms of our product development roadmap. The other thing um, that I think is interesting about this concept, Dan, is if you cannot point to an industry expert, you might not be in an industry. <laughs> Whatever you're building, it yeah. might not be relevant. Or you could be losing traction by considering yourself as this like solo, unique snowflake. Whereas like by drawing those parallels to successful winning companies and like tapping into that knowledge, you could save yourself a lot of time and money. So a couple of ways that we found these people recently, number one is through podcast. Number two is through LinkedIn. Number three is through Twitter. Yeah. And also I would say referrals. That's a big one as well. All right. So number one, hire an industry expert or current practitioner and get creative about how you identify who they are. Number two, go business coach dating. It's had sort of a mixed relationship with business coaching over the years. It's easy to throw the baby out with the bathwater, particularly for myself. You're in the industry, right? I see it all the time with, say, for example, the commentary about digital nomads. It's like, because there's a bunch of digital nomad bloggers selling how to become a digital nomad, like everyone with expertise about that is sort of like in that camp. And it can become like that with business coaches. But the reality is that business coaches are cited as invaluable resources all the time by guests on our show and by successful business owners we know. And I think one of the things that we didn't really take seriously last time around is that there's different strategies for different times in your business. And specifically, we've entered this like, quote, scaling up phase. If you talk to a business owner with less than a million dollars annual revenue, the primary concern in the business is like product traction and marketing funnels. But there's this moment when that changes and you have to go from player to coach, as we referenced on this show before, that things all of a sudden get a lot more complicated and different systems point to different moments. I guess the moment that resonates the most with me is number of employees, not necessarily revenue. And I think the reason for that is it's the communications and the leadership that get really complicated. And you have to like fundamentally change what you're doing. So if you've got like seven employees and you're in this kind of like small business phase, you can walk in as like the floor manager at the restaurant and you can be like, yo, we got chicken parm tonight. We got these amazing green beans and we really got to move this rosé or whatever. Like, Yeah. You can get everybody invested emotionally at that meeting. Exactly. Transfer your energy to those seven people because it's intimate. It's not all over Zoom or anything like that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And then the next week you can be like, yo, that idea to do chicken parm was so dumb. I can't believe you guys all came up with that idea. This <laughs> week we're doing this new idea. We're doing steak. Everybody wants steak. I want you all to push the steak. It might be this herky-jerky thing, but like there's seven of us. We're all in the same rock band. Let's go do it. But there is this phase that Vern Harnish, who was one of my favorite business thinkers, identifies as like the scaling up phase. We're going to say like, typically between like one and $5 million of revenue, 15 employees, all of a sudden you're having to like really build the business itself and not just like product plus marketing funnel. And that's 
I think the biggest challenge we faced in our last company that we yeah. basically kind of bailed out of is like, screw it, we'll take the cash. And this time around, I think we're really focused on taking on that challenge and, and learning. And there's two major systems that we've talked about on this show over the years. The first is scaling up, formerly called Gazelle. So that's founded by Vern Harnish, famous for writing the Rockefeller Habits. Also, Vern Harnish has done a lot with his career. He teaches at MIT, very impressive person. Vern Harnish also is the founder of EO, which is like a similar to the Dynamite Circle, except for businesses with over a million dollars a year in revenue. And basically the idea is like podcasts like this so often focus on the startup phase. And then when you read business magazines, they so often talk about public companies. What about what you do in the middle? How do you go from startup to a business that effectively manages cash and runs like a Fortune 500 company. And that's what these coaching programs promise. The other most commonly talked about scaling up coaching system is called Traction. That's by Gino Wickham, who's been on this show. And that tends to be a little bit more in vogue nowadays. And it's just interesting. Traction is a derivative or inspired by or a break in the church of scaling up slightly different. Scaling up is an open ecosystem. And so can in practice be a little bit more tedious. I think intellectually, it's a little bit more simple because Vern Harnish has an open system. He'll say, look, if you have this kind of people problems, you need to reference this outside source. Whereas Traction by Gina Wickham is a completely closed system. You can imagine it like an Apple computer or Apple software, right? Like you yeah. can't just like customize your buttons. But that makes it simpler for companies that want to implement it at a little bit lower revenue stages. Personally, the scaling up philosophy resonates a lot more than with me, just theoretically. Now, practically, we haven't installed any of this stuff in our business. We've read these books. We've taken things like meeting rhythms and huddles and quarterly projects and stuff and implemented them, but we haven't done anything comprehensive. Now, I know what you guys are thinking. My God, for a for an episode about easy things, this sure sounds tedious even listening to the explanation. But one of the things that I've been inspired to think about through talking with coaches over the last few weeks and months and talking with people who've worked with them is that this is an amazingly high upside, low downside activity. Even the discovery call with an effective business coach who's been where you want to be, there can be one or two nuggets you take that's going to be much more impactful on your business than maybe just the next customer service or client or potential deal or whatever. And so I think going business coach dating is, has a lot of potential for upside. One of the people we're very interested in doing some coaching with has taken four businesses from mid six figures to eight figures. It's just incredible to even have a conversation with someone like that who's seen what you're going to see many times. And so I think just going out there and finding a system that you enjoy that resonates with you, jumping into that coach's Rolodex and starting to talk to people can be a really high upside activity. A couple of thoughts for me about this. I think it's cool that you've identified traction as a derivative from scaling up. It's kind of like knowing where your spring water is coming from. It's <laughs> like, I want to see the reservoir and then like however it drips down through the mountain. That's okay. But I think it's good to attribute your sources, number one. Number two, like most of, I think these coaches hopefully are a derivative of one of these systems. And if they're not, I think that's worth asking them in terms of like, where are you getting your systems from? And a lot of them might say like, well, I grew an eight figure business and that's where you want to be. So just listen to me. 
valid. That's fine. So totally valid. Understanding like why you like a certain system over the other system. So it's like maybe you read all the books about religion and then you decide the one that you're most interested in. And so it could be the same for these business coaches. Yeah. The second thing is the corner office test. We talk about the corner office test on this show as it relates to employee to business owner. So we all did this. We sat in the corner office and we looked out of the parking lot and we decided this was not a good situation for us. Meaning yeah. this wasn't a good industry. This wasn't a good company. Wasn't a good fit. But you go and you figure out what the best seat in the house is. And then you figure out if you like the view. Right. Yeah. And it's the same thing with these business coaches and, and the industry experts. Exactly. Yeah. Which is identify somebody that you look up to or that you think you will look up to in the next couple of years if you stay on the trajectory that you're on, which is what we're trying to do now. And figure out if their view is worth it. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is like with so many of these consultants and coaches and systems, you can identify your key areas of need. Say you're doing a million dollars in revenue and you're not ready to bring on somebody that is this like full time fixture in your business and this large monthly cost. You can do a one day on site and say, we really have trouble with our strategy. We really have trouble with the team. I wouldn't rehire my team. I have a lot of hard conversations coming down the pike. How do I deal with that? And I just think one of the things that's getting exciting about operating at scale is you can deploy cash into these conversations and it returns rather quickly because you have so many other cash concerns in the business that making them more efficient is worth it in return. Whereas at a smaller scale, it's harder to see that ROI. We're trying to vet one of these coaches right now. And part of the process, which I think is smart, is talking to previous clients. So you had a call the other day with a previous client. And one of the examples that he brought up was like spot on for what we do in our relationship, which is my co-founder, he had these metrics that he was interested in. And I had these metrics that I was interested in. It's getting a clarity and getting the two founders in our situation, the two founders to converge and understand which metrics are the most important. What are the ones that we're going to put resources behind and push forward and care about moving the needle? So yeah. we're the biggest opportunity and constraint in our business. That's correct. like a core belief that I guess we're operating under, at least in terms of finding facilitators, people who can structure the conversation. There's a difference to practitioners of these systems, for example, between accountability and responsibility. But we don't talk as founders, we don't talk at that like nuanced of a level. And I think the reason these things have been thrust on our plate as increasingly important is because there's more than 15 people below us. And if we say things or do things imprecisely, it creates this herky-jerkiness in the whole train that didn't matter when we were the night manager at the restaurant coming in, hawking the rosé, because we could just get everybody realigned real quick. Yeah. But you're starting to see, oh man, we're like really losing time by not having clarity. Monday. Monday. What's faster than a top fuel dragster down the quarter mile? Your business when you use Dynamite Jobs Recruiting to supercharge your cash flow engine. Strap in, gas up, and let the profits flow. If your hiring is slow or falling off track, supercharge your strategy with a zero to 30 minute phone call with our legends of the hard sell. They'll dazzle you with high pressure, career killing sales tactics, urgency, urgency, urgency persistence, auto dealership desperation. And then tell me you could use a little more of these in your pursuit of business excellence. Operations managers in Omaha, marketing mavens in Marbella, coding wizards in Cape Town. We're taking this race global. Thanks to the support of listeners like you, it's not just the hard driving, E and closing, showing at the wheel anymore. We've got a whole team at your service. This 
Monday. Monday. Let's outrun your competition with an insanely profitable hire from Dynamite Jobs. Head on over to dynamitejobs.com and click on remote recruiting. All right. So we'll move on to the third point, but I, one of the things, part of the reason Ian and I wanted to bring up this coaching vetting process and scaling up and traction is we're particularly interested in entrepreneurs who've implemented these systems or who are in the process of it. And if you've done it, we'd love to hear from you and hear your story. We're going to share more of this in the future. All right. So we've got hire an industry expert practitioner. Number two, go business coach dating. Number three, go to a conference and spend some time embedded in the industry. It's an opportunity right now for us to define our post-COVID practices. Well, first off, the conference schedule landscape has changed. It's kind of an interesting time to go back to the drawing board and say, what's important to me? Has my industry changed? Has my network changed? In our particular case, we're going to have an, an all-time attended DCBKK in October. It's had an amazingly well-attended event in London. Uh, shout out to the DCX London hosts. So anyway... Personally, we're getting back on the trail. And I think sometimes maybe even if you get that COVID mindset of like, ah, oh, there's no FOMO and I'm just like, it's cool to like be more focused on my home life and stuff. There is this amazing lever out there for you just to go to a conference for three or four days, like show up a little bit earlier. That can completely change the trajectory of your business. Well, Travis was on the show recently and uh, had the chance to sit down with him again at lunch. And he was telling us about some of the different conferences that he... Uh, went to in the last year, and I started to get a little bit of FOMO. I think it was fun to hear from Travis some of the other events that he enjoyed going to in the last year. It also inspired me, Dan, to think about going to one or two of those events, and then also some of these industry events as well that are kind of related to DJ. Yeah. It's one of these things where you sit down at your computer to like make the hotel arrangement or whatever, and it's like feels like a little bit of work, but how often are you going to regret that in retrospect when you go hang out with Amazing Minds? Again, it only takes really one relationship at these events to kind of change your whole life trajectory. Yeah. Uh, as silly as that sounds, but it's happened. All right, moving on to point number four, lightweight fun things you can do to make a big difference in your business. I have be the controller function in your business. Create tight backward looking books. So then you can develop a robust and powerful pro forma for the future. That is very complicated to me. <laughs> One of the things that we noticed, we had a great year last year and we doubled and now we're like, we got to double again and we're digging into our books. And it's this weird mix of like, we have financial reporting from our operations manager. We have our books. And then we have like our personal napkins that are like Google Docs or whatever, where we like talk about our business in approximations because there's no one central oracle as of Q1 for us necessarily in our business. And so to, again, to make that personal to the business transition, you talked about how you do it with the corner office test. We both do it with our personal finances and that clarity of the final Friday of the month for me sitting down saying, where is every little bit of money in this system? We hadn't quite achieved that clarity on our business this year until the last few weeks. And it's a process, right? It's not something that's going to happen overnight. But every quarter, we just moved it to that next level of refinement that we felt like we needed. Because here's the thing. If you don't have strong numbers on your P&L, you can't make a quality pro forma where you project your cash flow. So you could call it a cash flow spreadsheet too. There's 
minor differences. But what I love about a pro forma is you can change assumptions. You can say, hey, well, I think we're going to be able to like sell this many of these products out in Q4. How does that change the whole system? Do I need to hire more people, et cetera, et cetera? And I think it was hard for us to create quality pro formas without rock solid books. So again, back to this thing, it's like the clarity you get from financial precision if it takes a three or four hour call with your bookkeeper, schedule that call, pay extra and sit down and figure out rules for every transaction in your company so that when you fire up your bookkeeping software, you know precisely exactly where you're at. And it feels good to be there and it took us a little while to get there, but I think you can get there through a series of these phone calls and relatively speaking, it's a low input for a high output. So wait, the title of this uh, point was it's supposed to be fun, right? <laughs> I actually found it to be really fun, strangely enough. Let me uh, distill how it can be fun. I think that the, a lot of the things in our lives and our businesses like create anxiety and like finances is one of those things for most people that creates anxiety. Unless you have a deep understanding of the way a P&L and a balance sheet and a pro forma and all this stuff work. And then... You also have to understand how it connects to your business, right? So then you have all these people and these functions and these products, and it's a very complicated relationship. So I think what you're talking about here is simply detaching or breaking off the financial aspect of that equation, making sure it's tight, and then being able to go back with confidence to the product, the marketing, the organizational side of things. But I think when you're first starting out, Dan, all this stuff, it doesn't matter a ton because you're just Ooh. trying to get traction. You're just trying to see if you have product market fit. You're just trying to see if someone will give you a dollar. Yeah. You don't need a balance sheet for that. You don't need a pro forma. You barely need a P&L. Okay, but once you start to get some kind of traction, once you start to get some kind of product market fit, most businesses, like 99% of businesses that I've seen, do not spit off so much cash that it doesn't matter. Most businesses, you have to spend money to make money. And so that's where this pro forma comes in. That's where the balance sheet, the P&L, because you start to make money. Can you explain the difference between a P&L and a balance sheet? Sure. So a P&L is basically a financial snapshot of your position. So I might look at July and I might see this is how much revenue we made. And then this was my net income and minus our expenses. So it gives me a snapshot. But what it doesn't do that a balance sheet does is like show me an inventory essentially of all of my balances. Right. Whether that's cash or assets or liabilities, that'll kind of give you like an overall worldview of your business. So you could, for example, be having a bad year, but your balance sheet looks amazing because right. you have so many assets. Right. And then the pro forma projects those numbers into the future. So for example, if you don't have rock solid books, in our case, we didn't have all our cogs in order, right? Like so Cost of goods sold. Right. So every little expense that came to the business, you want to figure out whether it's specifically attached to the production of a good or a service. And if you project the wrong cogs out on a pro forma, then it's very difficult for you to determine how much you're going to reinvest in that particular product. So here's where it starts to get fun, in my mind, is the pro forma. So the profit and loss, you can say, okay, we did 100000 this month. We made 10000 net profit of ten. Great. But then you look at the next month and you're like, well, maybe our net profit stayed the same, but we did less. So we did 80,000 in revenue, but then we only made 8,000. Okay. So at the end of the year, I'm starting to look at my assets. Now I have $18,000 in cash, assuming I didn't reinvest. The performer starts to get exciting because then you get to start to project out. Well, it's like, well, if you guys do this for 12 months, you know, you're going to have, let's just call it 
$200,000 in the bank account. Do you want to wait until December before you start reinvesting that? Do you want to find out what your next cliff is? Or you can say part of what comes up in a cliff, say, for example, or another way to put it would be like, when we start making, like selling 50 of these a month, we have to like buy a new factory, right? So yeah. this like big capital expense pops in. And so like you represent that on the future, which that would never show up in your P&L. And that's so, kind of the idea. So in our case, just concrete example is like, we started to see like when we needed to hire a next team member and also when we could afford them right? too. So this is how it like starts to loop back into like the organization and product. And what you're saying is I think true, which is in the traditional sense, like if you had a factory, it would be much easier because you could just say like, hey, we're at $50,000 in revenue. Like our machine's maxed out. It's running 24 hours a day. We want to get to 100 grand. So that means we need two machines. Yeah. It's really the same thing here. But with some of these internet-based businesses, the analogy is a, is a bit different. But it's all to say, like, I think that this starts to get fun because you start to create discipline in your business and you start to know where the money is. So you sit down at the end of the month on the last Friday and you do this for your personal income balance sheet, P&L, et cetera, right? Doing this in the business, I think is probably more important because this is your working cash flow. This is your working assumption of like how you're going to make it going forward. And so for us, essentially what this has meant, Dan, is a couple extra meetings with our bookkeepers, making sure that we trust our numbers too. I think that that's really important. So getting together, especially with your bookkeepers, you know, accountants, I think are separate. Accountants are more like tax planning. Mm -hmm. um, most accountants aren't going to tell you how to spend your money or how to deploy it back in your business in a meaningful way. So yeah, my current understanding is like you've got your accountants who do tax returns and compliance. You've got your bookkeepers who create these documents that you can look at. And then as you become a bigger company, you identify a controller who's somebody who actually goes in and like manages the shit out of this stuff. Like they go over to the person who's making the capital expenses and say, what was it? Where did it go? What's it associated with? Hey, didn't the boss say that it can't be more than 20%? Like those kinds of functions. And then you got the CFO who you can do this fractionally. Um, we've had guests on this show, like the virtual CFO, for example, gives you some idea of, hey, if these are the outcomes that your controller function's creating, then maybe you should consider this. And that's the way I currently understand it. And what I see this kind of bullet point number four is like us as founders circling with the bookkeepers to create basically like a fractional or virtual controller because we can't really go out and afford like a true full-time controller right now. And so that's my question to you, Ian. You've watched a lot of businesses go through these revenue levels. You've helped a lot of friends. At what point do you think like bookkeeping becomes like a big priority in a business? Are you like a day one kind of guy or? Definitely not a day one kind of guy. I think you need to have product market fit and you need to have some kind of trajectory. That being said, it's not that far away from there. It could be like a couple hundred thousand dollars. But here's, I think, the biggest reason why you would want a bookkeeper. If your plan is to just like run a lifestyle business and like not hire anybody, well then whatever. Don't worry about any of this stuff. If your plan is to create a pro forma and to have a growth trajectory, then like start worrying about this stuff right away. Because you're trying to make cash on cash investments in your organization. If you're a solopreneur and like your only mission is to put the money that you make in the business into your pocket and you don't have a true idea whether or not you want to double or triple that, like if you're just comfortable making your hundred grand a year from your whatever, then you, you might not need any of this, yeah. honestly. 
This is like an if, it's a way to invest back into your business and understand your financial health, assuming you want growth. What we started to notice was we're not the ones making all the moves and we have to give targets to leadership and other individuals in the company. And so it needs to be rock solid. And I say this is slightly embarrassing, and but also I'm sure a lot of founders can relate. Even between me and you, we would have debates about strategy items and like not really know what the number was. We, we, it was like a napkin figure that we had in our minds. And, and so- Well, it causes anxiety essentially, and it causes it to be no fun. So like these conversations get real really quick. If you point to the number in QuickBooks or whatever you're using yeah, yeah. and it's actually accurate, it's like the conversation is based on a real thing. And yeah. I think a lot of people, us included, Dan, we have these conversations about like what it could be or what you think it could be or, or what, what you wish it could be. <laughs> what I thought it was. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and I agree. This is why, I mean, it's maybe a strange one because in your case, if you don't have a bookkeeper right now, it might take some amount of grind and work. But if you just sit with that accountant for a full day and you just talk about how you want to categorize everything and how you're going to get that information, man, it can really feel good and set you off in the right direction. All right, number five, go on a vacation. And especially with people on the same path or go on a vacation with a notebook or Vern Harnish's Scaling Up 2.0 or any other book that promises a system or a strategy that you feel has the potential to make a difference. So you could check out Rob Walling's Start It For The Rest Of Us episodes about taking a personal retreat. You could even do this for a morning if you're tight for time or whatever. It's sometimes cool to say, you know, I'm not gonna go to the co-working space today. I'm going to go to a cafe with a notebook and like one chapter of cash strategy and scaling up. And I'm gonna do something about it and evaluate that. Or on the long form end, you can do what we do here, whether it's a migration to Chiang Mai after DCBKK, what we're doing this summer here in Europe, which is we're bringing a lot of other people on similar journeys with us and connecting with them. We had a DC Junto on Thursday night where everybody's sitting around swapping stories about growing these micro multinationals. And so I do think that there's a power in getting out of your own element, your own routine and trying to get some reflection into your business. And I think that's been a theme for us the past few months. Well, Dan, I think the concept for me of this is a bit confusing. Just from my personal perspective, I think I conflate these two things, like what is a vacation versus like what is an inspirational time period? I'm imagining like what my vacation is. So my vacation in my mind is riding dirt bikes in Crested Butte for five days. That's a vacation because I'm out in the middle of nowhere. I'm managing my motorcycle. I'm looking at beautiful views. I'm hanging out with friends. You know, I'm swimming in the freezing creek. You know, all these things like I'm not generally speaking, and I've done this stuff enough. I'm not inspired to think about business on those trips. Now, I look at this vacation that I'm on right now with you in Barcelona, and I look at the people that are around us. I look at the people that are dropping in here. I look at the architecture. I look at the art. I look at the people. I look you, at the food. And you're also out of all your responsibilities back home. Correct. And I'm very inspired. I'm very inspired. Like this is my inspirational vacation for our business. Yeah. Every day I think about the business. Every day I think about the people that I'm meeting. Every day I'm trying to make more connections. And yeah, it's very different than when I'm in Austin, Texas. No, 
in my home base, I'm inspired in, in, in different ways. I have, like you said, a lot more distractions, but in a lot of ways, this is a vacation. So I just want to make that distinction because I think for me and maybe other people, like there's these vacations that I go on that are totally unrelated and don't actually help my business at all. Yeah. It's not like, uh, I don't want the time off. Like the dirt biking thing for me. It's about dirt biking. I totally understand what you mean by that. Like you just have things that you want to do that aren't business. And so you got to find time to go do them. But then there's this third way where you sort of unplug from the routines of life. If you're in the early stages of this, it could be as simple as not looking at your phone all day long, listening to our episode about how to make a dream line. And at the end of the day, sitting down and doing your dream line while you're ordering a Caesar salad at your local pub, right? Like it could just be that simple or it could be organizing a whole vacation this summer like we did. Let's have fun, friends and inspiration and rethink things. We knew this was going to be a big summer for our business. And what better way to do it with other people on similar journeys? Understanding like what's a productive work vacation. Like for me, the dirt biking thing, it's not a productive working vacation. It's productive in dirt biking. But the Barcelona vacation for me is a very productive work vacation. Ian, we have five key points. Hire an industry expert or practitioner. I think that's my favorite one. I just love this idea of, oh yeah, like, Almost anybody that doesn't do this professionally is willing to be a consultant. I love that idea. Go business coach dating, go to a conference, be the controller in your business or approximate the controller function or CFO function in your business and go on a vacation with people on the same path. Some honorable mentions, some light and easy things you could do. Number one, survey your customers. How long is it going to take you to write a cool little email to your top 50 customers? That's simple. I like that one. Write a quarterly or annual letter. If you want to be inspired by this, you could check out Berkshire Hathaway's annual letters. Warren Buffett was famous for his annual newsletter to his shareholders and with the frankness. And I think that sort of frankness that he was an innovator in where like, hey, here's where things went wrong. Here's what we're working on. You know, maybe next year is not going to be so great because of these factors or whatever. Like that is more rewarded in today's marketplace than it ever has been. And it's also a way for you to internally reflect about what you've achieved and give recognition to those on your team. So I think a quarterly annual newsletter, you can move abroad just for a short period of time. You can stop working from home alone, get yourself a co-working space or just get out of the house and start connecting with other people. And my final piece, a little bit of alley-oop to you, you can install hot char. (laughs) (laughs) I recently listened to an amazing interview on Startups for the Rest of Us with the hot jar founder. We'll link up to that episode. It's such a great episode. They're making money. I sent it to you afterwards. I said, what a great podcast episode. And then fast forward a few months, I was like, we need a new piece of software. We got to call up hotjar.com. It's a top five startup name of all time. Tell us how you use Hotjar and what it does. Yeah, basically just watching uh, different user segments interact with the product. I mean, we're essentially at that scale, I think, where it matters to us what people are doing. It's teaching us like about the products that we built and the products that I think we should be building on both sides of the customer profiles that yeah. we have. And I think the main thing is if you do have a website that a lot of people interact with, if you can set up a system like a Zapier system where your team, your critical team members are watching only the important sessions. Yeah. It becomes like fun and gamified where everybody wants to derive the interesting insight 
from the video user session. And I think it's pretty powerful. Yeah, again, I mean, I think like going back to the accounting and bookkeeping and stuff like that, like having heat maps and watching Hotjar videos and all this stuff, like it becomes important at a certain point, probably not right away. But like once you have enough traffic, once you have enough product market fit where you're trying to figure out like, hey, what's the next step here? It's been a very valuable tool for us. Cool. Well, if you got easy things that make a big difference, send us an email or questions or prompts for us or insights into scaling up or attraction. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for this week. We'll be back as always next Thursday morning. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.